Well, good morning again. And, uh, you know, we'll get right into the message here this morning. We're going to be, most of what we uh, talk about this morning will be coming out of Daniel chapter 1. If you want to go there on your electronic device, I'm going to trust that you're looking at the scripture and not checking their Facebook page or anything like that. Um, but, but please do so. Dan- Daniel chapter 1 is where most of what we speak about this morning will come from, the Lord willing. Amen? Man, how many of you heard that, you know, we're in a, there's a, there's a cultural battle that's going on. There's, a, there's, have, have, I mean, there's, there is. It's a, it's a, you know, there's a cultural battle that's basically going on. But, my brothers and sisters, I, I don't think that this is just something that's uh, secular. It's not a, a matter of uh, geopolitics or anything like that. I really do believe, and, and I'm, some of you will acknowledge, and you know it uh, without me even saying it, it's really a spiritual battle that's going on. Amen? And so, the thing that I'm concerned about as a pastor, and I've shared with you before, um, the church. I mean, I'm concerned with the culture. I'm concerned for the community. I do have evangelism in my heart. I mean, it's up to us as individuals, as disciples, as we're studying on Wednesday. Uh, here's an, uh, an unshameful or a shameful plug, as you will. Wednesday, we're studying on discipleship. I want to encourage some of you to be there. It's, it's pretty good study, I think. But anyway, having said that, as disciples, all of us as being disciples of Christ, as we learned Wednesday and as some of us already knew, the Great Commission, we're called to be His witnesses. We're called to witness Jesus in this lost and dying world, to make converts. That's, you know, and, and it's amazing to me, this isn't part of the message, I won't charge you extra for this. It's amazing to me that you know, in this culture that we live in right now, we could talk about Jesus you know, anytime we want. As long as it's the Jesus who loves everybody, as long as it's the Jesus who you know, tells us to turn the other cheek, as long as it's the, you know, the Jesus that you know, is the, the, the good shepherd as it relates to being kind, and, and He is all of those things. Amen? But He also is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He also is the righteous judge. He also is the one who said, I am the way, the only way. So once you start talking about Jesus being the only way, that's when you start to get shut down. Right? So, so in the culture, I mean, Jesus is allowed as long as it fits into you know, what they want to allow. But I'm not going to talk, and then, see, I want to make sure that in the church that we're not always talking about just that Jesus. Okay? In the church, I want to make sure that we understand that He is a righteous judge. That there is a stand. See, Tony, you always got to go there. Well, I'm telling you, it's important that we understand that. Because, see, the, 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 the exclusivity is not by Him, the exclusivity is by us. Here, here's what I mean by that. For God so loved the world. He died for everybody. That whosoever. See, so we exclude ourselves. He doesn't exclude anybody. So if there's any ex- exclusion, if there's any kind of block or barrier or anything, it's man-made. He didn't make it. Because He died for all of us. Whosoever would come. Amen? Alright, so... This cultural battle. So we're going to address that a little bit today. The cultural battle. Battle. Uh, Daniel 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He overtook it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. This is Nebuchadnezzar taking the stuff out of the house of God in Judah and taking them away. 
and he brought the articles into the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king instructed uh, Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and and literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that they, at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those, the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, uh, Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. Pause here right now. You could say that I can't. <laughs> but I have said it. But my brothers and sisters, look, let, let's just real quickly, just like it was, I mean, this is, this is a little bit different for us to understand, but you now I think we gave a little bit of uh, this same kind of um, talk as, as far as the Romans go. When the Romans uh, took over an area, you know, they took the best of the best of the area and they carried it back, all wisdom of philosophies and things of that nature. You know, and I highlighted that when we were talking about Pilate, when he says, gee, what is truth? Well, there were so many philosophers, there were Greek philosophers and so many different philosophies and wise people people in those areas uh, uh, that they conquered. So this is like that. Um, The Babylonians, they take uh, charge of Jerusalem, they besiege Jerusalem, and they take the best of the best. They take the best-looking young men, the gifted young men, the athletics, no no blemish, you know, kind of like what you're looking at right now. You're smart. You know, almost everybody left. Thank you, sister. No, but they took the best of the best to serve the king. And so now, if you, if you, you know, that's just the way it was. That's, that's, that's part of it. But you see, one of the first things that the Bible mentions, what did they do? Point one, if you're taking notes, point one. Change their identity. Change the name. Now, you have a different purpose. Remember the message from last week? We were talking about Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, and, and, and then even Jacob to Israel. See, God changed their name because he had a plan for them, a purpose for them. The names spoke to what God had planned for them when he changed their name. Now, these young men are already Jews. They're already people of, that, that have a name which represents their culture, where they're from. They're, they're, they're I almost said Christian, but they're not Christian. They're uh, Judaism, their values of Judaism, what they, where they're from, what they are, what they're about. Each of their names has a reference to God in them. Okay? Daniel, D-E-L, Elohim, right? Uh, Azariah, the, the Yah, Yahweh, Jehovah, right? And, right? So, so you see, each of their names has a reference to the Hebrew God. And so now, the first thing that they do is change their names, change their identity. My brothers and sisters, we have a name. My name is given to me by my father and mother, but when I became born again, something happened. What happened? I became a child of God. I wasn't born a child of God. I was born the creation of God, but not His child. I became a child of God when I accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life and I received His Spirit. I became born again. Something changed in me, right? And I was given a new name. Child of God. 
Yeah, on the outside it's still Anthony. But on the inside, and God recognizes me as someone and something different. And now I have the ability by His Spirit to recognize that I'm called to a different purpose. I'm called to something different. I'm called according to His purpose, according to what He's purposed for me from the foundations of the earth, even before the foundations of the earth. Amen? So I want to just, real quick, Daniel, that name, God is my judge. That's his original name, Daniel. God is my judge. Belteshazzar. Now, depending on you know, which interpretations, or because down through the years things have changed and spellings and all this, but protects the king, Belteshazzar, or lady, protect the king. Regardless, protected by Bel is also another interpretation, just a pagan god. Now, Daniel, El, associated with Elohim, is now becoming identified as uh, someone who is identified with the pagan god. Likewise, Hannah, Hananiah, Jehovah has been gracious. That's his original name. Hananiah, Jehovah has been gracious. His name is changed to Shadrach. Depending, again, on the uh, translation that you ascribe to, but in the studying that I've done, most common is the command of Aku, Aku the moon god. So another pagan god. So again, you see what's happening now. They're changing the name from the association with the true and living god now to the pagan god. Mishael, meaning who is like God. There's no one like him. If, if you, the Tony language. Man, there ain't nobody like God. Who can be, there's no one like God. That's what his name means. He, they change it to Meshach. Who is like Aku, the moon god. Hallelujah. Azariah, Jehovah is my helper. That becomes Abednego, servant of Nabo. Another God. Pagan God. So, so you see, my brothers and sisters, how this works now. The first thing that happens, they go in there, they, they take the best of the best, and they change their identity. They change their names. Change the mindset. When God spoke, as in last week, when God spoke those names over those people, He was telling them something. I have a destiny for you. I have a plan for you. And, and there is nothing that could stop that except you. So now, my brothers and sisters, we see what happens here. They change the names, change the identities to try and make, this, make sure that those destinies aren't fulfilled. To make sure now, I'm the, the, the enemy. I'm changing your destiny. I'm go- see, he's got a plan for you. God does, but so does the enemy. And the enemy's plan is to get you distracted from God so that the destiny and the plan that God has for you can never come to its fruition. So now, here's what happens. We start thinking of ourselves by the names that our people associate with us. We start thinking of ourselves. You know, that's why it's so important what we speak to our children. Don't call our children by names that are not complimentary. Don't, call our, don't tell our children, you're never going to amount to anything. That's not what God says about them. God has a purpose and a plan. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to be fanatical and and I'm not trying to beat any parents in here. This is bothering me. I just got to move it. I'm not trying to beat up any parents in here or be negative or anything like that. No, what I'm trying to say to you is, my brothers and sisters, those words that come out of your mouth mean something. And we want, oh, and and see, now, what the world is, we've just taken the opposite in this country. Everybody's special. Everybody's a winner. Everybody, no, let's speak according to the word of God. God has a purpose and plan for your life. 
God has a purpose and plan for your life. God has a standard for your life. He's called you out. I'm going to help you. I'm going to do whatever I can to raise you up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm going to do what it says to, to, for me to do in Proverbs. Raise my child up in the way that they shall go. And I'm going to do everything that I can to do that, to nurse you, so that when you get of age, you'll know that the Lord has a plan for you. He has a destiny for you. And I'm not going to do anything while you're in those formative years to make you believe otherwise. I'm not going to do anything to put up any roadblock. I'm not going to do anything to make your mind wander, to make your mind think of something. Let's face it, folks. There's already enough out there doing that to our young people. I'm not going to get on the social network and start letting people live their lives, their fake lives on social networks where you only see the best of the best. Or you only hear certain philosophers on the, and speaking to all kind of gibberish and let our kids be affected by it. Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm not going to go ahead now and let them listen to any old music that they want to listen to. Having that stuff pumped into their brains. Let me ask you all something. Some of this music, now yeah, I sound like one of them old timey fire and brimstone preachers, don't I? Don't I? But, but think about that for a minute. Think about some of the words and some of the language that's used in those musical things that are being put out there. Would you let those things come out of your child's mouth? Some of them. No. Then why are you letting them listen to it? Look at some of the things that are on movies and television shows right now. Would you want that acted out in your home? Then why are you letting your kids watch it? Uh-oh. We're really going to thin the church out now, ain't we? No, but see, this is what I'm saying. See, the Lord has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for us. And if we let the enemy, he wants to change that destiny. He wants to change everything about that purpose. He wants to steer us away from the purpose and the plan that God has for us, which, by the way, leads to our everlasting happiness, to our everlasting joy, to everlasting peace, to all of those things that he has for us. It leads to that. The other one leads to destruction. So the enemy wants to lead us to destruction. God wants to lead us to eternal life and happiness with Him. So the enemy is doing everything that he can. And we're letting them change our identity. Change who we are. Not realize the destiny, the purpose, and the plan that God has called us to. Changing our names. Are you with me? Man, there, there was a, a, a while ago, a long time ago, I was a superintendent at a place. I was managing a golf course, and I left. I got a, another position, and I had uh, talked to some members and stuff, and they were telling me how things weren't going as good, and, and some of the employees that were there uh, commented to the members, the new superintendent, to him, it's just a job. To Tony, it was his life. Now, they thought that that was a compliment to me, but really... It wasn't, because Christ is supposed to be my life. But what I did in my younger days was let that be my, 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 my identity. My job was my identity. See, to some of us, that's what's happened. Our job and, and you know, the way we make our livelihood has become so prevalent and so much about who we are that we let that you know, steal or take from what God has purposed for us, the name that God calls us by. And so in so doing, sometimes even on the job, we may compromise. But we can't do that. We should work every day like we're working unto the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. But 
not to sacrifice not to sacrifice any standards or principles or compromise any of, of the, what the Lord has put in our heart, what the Lord's placed in us. Amen? So point one, you want to change, the enemy wants to change our identity. He wants to change our purpose. You know, I, I also, on that note, because I had a, a colleague who was a manager in the same company that I was in, and he knew that his days were numbered. They were shopping his job, and, and he was all tore up, and I, you know, I didn't know what to do. He called me, and you know, we're sitting down and talking, and he's, you know, he's breaking down in tears, and he's saying, you know, I don't know how I'm going to face my wife and my kids. If I get fired from this job, you know, I've got to face my wife and my kids. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, man. Don't, don't even think about that. Here's, here's what you've got to know. To your wife, you're always husband. You're not this position, you're husband. You, that's not, that, that, that's not going to change. To your children, you're always daddy. He had young children. To your children, you're daddy. That's not going to change. This job is what you do. It's not who you are. See, back then, that one I, I told you about a minute ago where they were talking to me like it should have been a compliment, that was what I did. It wasn't who I was. Don't let your job, don't let whatever's occupying your time and attention right now, don't let that become your identity. Don't let that become your purpose. That is the enemy trying to steal something from you. Don't let it happen. You have control over that. Amen? So point one. Now let's continue in Daniel, verse 8, chapter 1. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. He's going to chop my head off for not following his command, and you guys are going to look bad. You're going to look drawn and shrinky, and you're not going to look as good as the rest of the guys. Then my head's going to be chopped off for it. I want you to notice, look at what he says. Look at what the Bible says. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. See, who, who purposed in Daniel's heart? He did. See, he did. My brothers and sisters, this is, I think, so much in the church, we, we're, we're looking for this magic, this, 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 all of a sudden, this waving of the magic wand, and something's going to come over me, I'm going to lose all control over my own senses and my own body, and my own, I'm going to, and then all, God, okay, now I become God's robot. You know, he says it, and I do it, and I have no more desire myself. That doesn't happen that way. Remember, love isn't love unless you have a choice. God wants us to choose him because we love him. Not because we have to serve him, but because we want to serve him. And we want to serve him because we love him. And that's the way God has set it up. Hallelujah forevermore. And because, listen, to the degree in which I can love him is to the degree that he fills me. Because I don't have the ability to love him like he wants to love unless I accept him and then allow him to teach me. Open up my heart and let his spirit in and out. Mom, my brothers and sisters, this is, God is so good. God is so good. What he requires of me, he gives me. Whew, that is awesome. What he requires of me, he gives me. All I got to do is voluntarily take it. Daniel purposed in his heart that he was not going to defile himself. He knew that if he did those things, what things? Drink the meat, I mean, drink the wine and eat the meat from the king's table. 
Well, Tony, does that mean we're not allowed to... Well, Paul covered that or the Holy Spirit covered that. But see, what, what happened was that meat probably f- was dedicated to idols. It was probably because they were all about worshiping their idols. So that meat was probably dedicated to their idols. Also, that meat was probably not blooded. It was probably strangled or it was, you know, so it violated the, the Mosaic law for unclean. And a lot of the Mosaic law had a lot to do with just pure, sure enough, uh, sanitation. And what, what's the word, uh, regardless of what the word is. You know how, uh, you know, I, I, God understood microbiology. They didn't. So God made some rules and laws and said, this is what's going to happen if you eat this, if you don't store things properly, you know, so on and so forth. Are you with me? So see, so a lot of what God called unclean was to protect them. It had nothing to do with just religion, but it had a lot to do with protecting them in their bodies. Health. Health. So now God is saying to them, don't do this. Daniel, Daniel is, is aware of this, and so now he purposes in his heart, I am not going to violate what God has demanded or commanded. So I'm not going to drink the wine. I'm not going to go ahead and, and listen, New Testament way, I'm not going to go ahead and fill myself up with wine and then get a little bit fuzzy and then go ahead and maybe do something that I shouldn't do. Are you with me? I'm not going to go ahead and just dabble a little bit on the fringes because once you start doing that, then it's all over. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself by violating the commands of God. He knew that God had those commands in there for a reason and he was determined in himself that he would not do it. Hallelujah. I love what he did. I love what he did. So look, point two. You can't compromise. When you know something is wrong, you just can't do it. And when you know that you have to do something and you don't do it, man, that's compromise. If, especially if you're, if you're doing it to fit in with a culture. Now, you've heard me say this from this pulpit, and I'm going to continue to say it until God shuts me up. So evidently, when it comes out of my mouth, if I don't go, he didn't shut me up. God, shut me up if you don't want me to say this. But I'm sick and tired of the church compromising with the culture to fill seats. You can go ahead and build the church or you can fill a congregation, but you don't necessarily do both simultaneously. Christ is building His church. His church is not necessarily a filled congregation or, or, or a community of filled seats. That's not necessarily His church. Now, there may be a lot of church members in that place, but not everybody is that church. Are you with me? See, the church isn't the building as you know. The church isn't that meeting on a Sunday, that meeting place or a Wednesday. The church is you. The church is me. And He's building us together. His bride, His church. Are you with me? See, so look, now, culturally, if I do certain things, if we do certain, like we've seen, and we make certain compromises, we say certain things, you know, all the good, everything's good, everything's honky dory. You know, you've heard me say it. But that's why I preach the way I preach. That's why I got, listen, listen, you know what Paul said? Paul said, when he was getting ready to depart, he said, I've never, I'm going to say it in tone language, I have a clear conscience because I've never failed to preach to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't just preach the sunshine and lollipops, you see. I preached the whole counsel of God. I am not going to be guilty of not preaching the whole counsel of God because it's the whole counsel of God which saves the soul. If you only hear the fluff, if you only hear the good stuff, you only hear what you want to hear, you're going to die in your sins and trespasses. And when you go up there and stand before Him, you're not going to be able to blame me. Hallelujah! Don't compromise. 
you just can't, you can't compromise. Don't backtrack. You know. You know. Proverbs 20. Here's, here's the other thing. I'm going to... It says, therefore, he requested, if you look in, uh, what is that, verse 8 still, I believe? Yeah. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I think that's pretty neat. Because what he did was, he didn't say, doggone it, I'm a Jew. I ain't eating that stuff. He didn't get all self-righteous and talk to this non-believer in a way that absolutely disrespected the position that that Gentile had over him. But he went and requested. He made a request. You see. He didn't act out. You know, he didn't fuss. He didn't complain, murmur, and cry. He just requested something. Wisdom. A righteous man, Proverbs 25, 26, a righteous man who falters before the wicked is like a murky spring and a polluted well. Twofold, number one. If you compromise, you become a murky spring, a polluted well. If you compromise, it's a murky spring, you're a polluted well. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification, the setting apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. You see what the, see what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church there? He said, look, stand fast. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Stand fast in those things, listen, that you heard us preach to you or that we wrote to you. In word or epistle, that's what that means. That we preach to you or that we wrote to you. Do you understand that? You see what, see what the Holy Spirit is saying through the apostle? To the church. Stand fast. Those things that you know, man, stand in them. Don't compromise. Don't give up. Am I losing you? No, stay here. Stay here. Listen, don't give up. Stand. Even, listen, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, but you've got to stand. When you stand, listen, when you stand, you better be ready. It's going to cost you something. I'm experiencing it. When you stand, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you family. It might cost you a job. It might cost you financially. When you stand, are you hot? Is, is, you check that. Is it hot in here? Okay. Hey, when, when, listen, when you stand, it's going to cost you something. When you stand, it's going to cost you something. Just be ready. See, that's why I can't preach to you the sunshine and lollipops because sometimes it gets a little bit tough. But that's okay. You know why it's okay? Because Jesus said he's never going to leave you or forsake you. And then if you compromise, he's saying, that's, that's not good because now you're becoming murky. You're a polluted spring now. So Jesus, listen, so Jesus can't do for you what he planned to do for you. Why? Because now you're murky, you're a polluted spring. I, I can't touch you. I can't do nothing now. He's not, he's not going to punish you. He's not going to... No. No. But he just can't fulfill the purpose. Why? Because you've compromised. You've allowed your identity to be changed by the world and the ruler of this world. Don't let that happen. But if we stick, we stay, we stand, guess what happens? Jesus is glorified in our lives. 
That's the purpose that we're called to. That's the general plan and purpose that we're called to, is to glorify Jesus. And Jesus will be glorified if we stand. So now again, back to that thing. Daniel requested. So this is kind of like, when I was considering this, I was studying it. This came to me late. So I said, well, Lord, is this a point you want me to make? Then I'm going to make it. So I call this point, instead of point three, this will be point two and a half, two B. And I started to say to you a moment ago about how Daniel approached the head of the eunuchs. He wasn't a jerk about it. He wasn't a jerk. He didn't go demanding anything. He, he went and he requested. He asked for permission to do something. He obeyed that person who had the rule over him. He acknowledged who was over him, even though who was over him was a dog, a sinner dog, was unclean, was a non-believer, was a Gentile. Whatever you, whatever you want to attach, whatever name we want to attach to it, he was a non-believer. And the, uh, Daniel goes to him and acknowledges his stewardship, acknowledges his position over him, and says, ask for permission to do this thing. Again, not acting like, don't be a point two and a half, don't be a jerk. I'm, I'm just don't be, you don't have to be a jerk about it. Man, you love the Lord, you don't want to compromise, you don't have to get all huffy and puffy, you don't have to be all ugly about it. Man, just, just be nice. Just be nice. That's all. You don't have to, you know, stand up on your soapbox and you don't have to give, you know, verse and chapter because nine times out of ten, they ain't going to care about it anyway. So just be nice and respect those who have the rule over you, whether they're born again or not. Why? Because you're called to do it. And in that, you glorify Jesus. So stand, but don't be a jerk. Be nice. Be polite. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit, in that moment, is going to give you the words to say if you'll trust Him. Hey, that was a good point. Glad I added that in. No, but think about that for a moment. Because sometimes, my brothers and sisters, we give Christ a bad name by trying to make a point of our stand and being a jerk about it. Just be nice. Be polite. Be respectful. Be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, I'm going to, I just want to push on this just a minute more. Okay? Has anybody ever run into anybody like that? Before I was a Christian? Since I've been a Christian? Yes, I've run into people like that. And, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't turn people on. It turns them off. Be nice. Be nice. Think about all of the stuff that Christ was up against. Who did he treat like a jerk? Nobody. The only people he really ever got harsh with were the religious hypocrites. The people who were sinners, even the Romans, he treated well. Right? I'm going to be like Christ. How about you? Amen. Okay, now continuing in verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants. So now he said, look, if I do this thing, remember the head of the eunuch said, if I do this thing, I'm going to get my head chopped off because you guys aren't going to look as good as the rest and then the king is going to take my head. Now this is what Daniel's response is. Please, please, see, you notice the word, please, please, test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you. You judge. And the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them 
in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus, the steward took away the portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables and water. Did you see that? But see, again, I want to bring your attention. You see how Daniel addresses him. Please, let's, let, let's just try this. Let's just try it. Let's just try it for a matter of ten days. And then you get to decide. I, I, we'll leave it to you, but just let's, let's, let's try this. See, not being a jerk. If you don't do this, blah, blah, blah. You might as well take my head right now. No. No, nothing like that. Not being a jerk, just being... T- but look at point three here. In this thing. You see what Daniel's doing? I'm not, we, we cannot defile ourselves. I'm going to trust God in this. You see how he's trusting God? God, I'm going to do what you say, and I know it's going to be successful. I'm going to trust you, God. Do you see this? I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to do what I know is wrong just to, to go ahead and you know, keep my head off the chopping block. I'm not going to do what's, what's wrong just to fit in with the rest. Uh, God, no, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to defy myself. And, and not only that, God, I'm willing to go ahead and do this thing knowing that you're going to deliver. I'm trusting you. Trust God. Have confidence in God. You know, this past week, as some of you, I know there's some of you, Michael, some of you have ministered and you've had uh, opportunity to witness and, and, and things of that nature. I had opportunity as well. And, and you know, the, the one thing that always comes up is I, I say to people... Uh, you know, if, if you're trusting God, what are you trusting God for? How do you know what you could trust God for? Do you know what he's promised you? Do you even know what he's promised you? Uh, no, listen, that's why you've got to read. You can't take my word for it or somebody else's word for it. You've got to read and understand what God has promised you. And then you know that it's his word, not Tony's word. Not your favorite preacher on TV's word. Not Joel Osteen's word. Not anybody else's word. It's, listen, it's the word of God. And God has made this promise to me. And so that I'm going to trust him. I'm going to have confidence in that. He, he, he promised this to me. And he's not a God that he should lie. Neither son of man that he should repent. He's always true. So I'm just going to stand on his word. Listen. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to stand on his word. I'm going to have confidence that he's going to deliver his word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what I'm going to do. How about you? Trust God. Have confidence in God. Continuing now in verse 17. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief, not the ten days now, this is at the end of their training. Then when the, uh, the king that said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel stayed in that position right next to the king. The fear, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. See, my brothers and sisters, these guys were ten times better than all of the others that were receiving the same education and everything else that they received. They were ten times better. Why? 
Do you got that up there? Yeah. The fear of the Lord. That's why. They respected God. Because they respected God, God poured wisdom on them. Are you with me? You see that? Easy, easy. This is so easy. So now let's look at the next one. Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see the consistency here? See, respecting God, having respect for God. You can't say, well, I respect God. He's God. The devil understands who God is, but he doesn't serve him. So you could say that you respect God and you acknowledge God, but that's not really fearing God. Fearing God means that you hold him in awe and you are obeying him. You, are, you, you know who he is and you're walking circumspectly. My brothers and sisters, that's where we need to be. That's where I want to be. How about you? Amen? Now let's look at James real quick. James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Listen, God is not going to be upset with you when you ask him for wisdom. This is saying that you need wisdom. In fact, some of the old, I think it was, I don't know if it was Sproles or Spurgeon, the most important thing we can ask for as ministers, we've got to continue to pray for wisdom. We have to continue to ask him for wisdom. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave driven by, driven by the sea and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I want to pause here for a minute. The reason why I gave you so much of that is, do you see the last part? Because what it's saying is, if, the, if, we, ask, if we ask, God wants us to ask for wisdom. But now when we ask for wisdom, we better have faith. We better have faith. Because if we don't ask in faith, we're not going to get it. Why? Because any person who asks with any kind of doubt, they're like a wind, or they're like a, a way that's tossed by the wind. And, and, but, but, but here, I love the way he just flat out says it. You're double-minded. That means you've got one foot in the world and one foot in the Spirit. So God is saying, if you're double-minded, if you're half in, half out, you're unstable in all your ways. I can't bless that. I can't bless you with wisdom. Are you there? All right. So let's continue. Let's compromise. One foot in, one foot out. Now I've got to give another point. Point three and a half. This is another one that I added after the fact. I won't charge you extra. Point three and a half. You know what I like about this section of scripture is I like, you know, it, this is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Belteshazzar. There's four of them. See, there was something that happens between the four of them. In, in, in chapter two, we won't go there, but I'll just give you a I may read a little bit of scripture from chapter 2. But in chapter 2, after these guys are, are, are you know, they're received by the king and they're, they're in the court now and, you know, these are advisors to the king. You know, what happens is the king has a dream in chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And, you know, he wants this dream interpreted. But he wants to be so sure that whoever interprets the dream knows the heck what they're saying. He says, I'm not even going to tell you the dream. I'm going, to, I'm going to tap all of these wise men, all of these folks. I'm going to tap all of them. And listen, you're going to have to tell me what the dream was and then interpret it. And, 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 and I'm going to start killing you all until somebody solves this, <laughs> this puzzle. So the word gets to Daniel. Word gets to Daniel. And, and he says, tell the king to hold off. Give me, give, me, give me some time to meditate on this. Just tell the king to give me a little bit of time. And I believe it's in 16... 
2.16, Daniel 2.16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from God, from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men. There's point three and a half. Fellowship with the saints. Daniel didn't do this on his own. Mishael, Azariah, they, they didn't do it on their own. They, they had each other. They worked together. There was a fellowship of the saints there. When Daniel found this out, he didn't say, I'm going to go seek the Lord, get on my face, and the Lord will give me this interpretation. The Lord had already gifted him. He knew he had a gift. You got a gift, you. He knew he had a gift, but he got down and he got with his brothers. He got with fellowship of the saints. He got with like-minded, like-hearted people who were willing, look, who were willing to go and, and believe and trust in God. How do I know that? Well, it says that those four took the vegetables and the water. They didn't take the king's delicacies either. They all, were, they all, put, they all put their faith and trust in God. And they all were successful. And God blessed them and gifted all of them. So now Daniel is going back. Tell the king to hold horses. Tell the king to hang on. I got to go ahead and do something. And what he did was he went and he got with his brothers. He told them what was going on and they sought the Lord together. My brothers and sisters, I could read to you so many scriptures, but I'm just going to read one and then I'll let the rest be go. Actually, that's not true. I'm probably going to read both of them. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, how many times from this pulpit in the last few months have you heard the last part, verse 25 of Hebrews? How many, you've heard it a bunch of times. Why? Because so many people, so many people I'm hearing over and over again, any people that call themselves Christians that say, no, I don't need to necessarily go to church to be a follower of Jesus. I think the word says something a little different. The word says something different. And then we see in the Bible, we see things that happen when like-minded people who were set aside for God's work, when they got together and they prayed together and they did things together, what happened? The Lord moved. Amen? Because in that chapter, you know what happens, right? In that chapter, the Lord reveals to Daniel not just the revelation of the dream, but He reveals to him the whole dream. He stands before Nebuchadnezzar and says, this is what you saw and this is what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar got down on his face before Daniel. Said, that your God is God. See, because they were, listen, they did not compromise because they stayed faithful. They stayed true to their identity. They stayed true to their identity. God got the glory. Amen. See, you compromise, you muddy the waters, you dirty the spring, Jesus can't get the glory. Hallelujah. I'm going to read one more for you in, in, the, in those lines. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they continued, these being the, the new uh, disciples, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They continued steadfastly in the doctrine and fellowship. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, not just those in there, but all outside, came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Why? Because there was this fellowship going on. 
There was all, they were praying together. There was this stuff that was going on. Now, all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, they went to church every day. And breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Listen to this. And this is what the Lord did because they were obedient, because they met together, because they prayed together. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Not added to the congregation daily. He added to His church daily those who were being saved. You know what? There are a lot of filled filled buildings this morning. There are a lot of mega churches with thousands of people in there. But that doesn't mean that they're all saved. He's building a church, y'all. He's not building a congregation. He's building a church. And the church are those who receive the truth and live it. Amen? Hallelujah. Point four. Point four. Your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. It's got to be tested. In order for it to grow, it has to be tested. So, so in chapter 3, we know this story. This is it's a great story where, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea. Now, I don't know how much time passed between chapter 2 and, 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 and chapter 4, but I think there must have been some time because the same Nebuchadnezzar who got down on his face before Daniel and said, your God is God, now is saying, I'm going to build an image and I want everybody to worship that as God. What happened to the one that... Uh, what happened? So he raises this golden image and he calls all of his leaders from all the different um, places, all the provinces which he had conquered, which is part of his kingdom. He brings all of the heads of state and he brings them all together. And he says, whenever you hear this, this orchestra play, you bow down and worship the idol. And we all know this story, but I just love this story. So then what happens is the music plays, they don't bow. The three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow. And so the Chaldeans go and they squeal. They accuse. There's always going to be somebody and it's going to be somebody you least expect. It's going to be somebody who, and it's going to hurt your feelings that's going to betray you. It's going to hurt your feelings. But that's part of the test also. Here's the test. That you don't retaliate that you don't get mad, that you love anyway, that you forgive even before they ask you to forgive them. Amen? It's a test. That's a test. How in the world can I hold their sin against them? Christ didn't hold it against me. Yeah, but you asked for forgiveness. Don't, don't matter. He died when I was a sinner. He died for everybody, knowing that not everybody would even uh, accept it. But he did it. So who am I? that I'm going to demand they come to me and beg for forgiveness. Nah, forgive them. But it hurts, yeah. When he was up on that cross, it hurt. Before he got on that cross, it hurt. And I'm going to tell you the real hurt. That real hurt was when he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? When all of my sin was hung up on him, and that was the first time that there was that separation between the deity and that body. You think that didn't hurt? That hurt. So who am I? Yeah, when you stand, 
When your faith is tested, it's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be pleasant. So we know what happens. They get squealed on. Then the king says to the, bring them to me. And basically gives them a, hey, I'm going to tell you what. Tony language. I'm going to play the music again. I'm going to give you another chance. If you don't bow now, they said, King, look, you could test us in that again. But I, you know what? I left something out. I love the way that he, the king says it like this. Let's see which God is able to defend you from me. <laughs> see, that was it. That You throw that out there. I mean, that's, that's selling wolf tickets to, to God Almighty. <laughs> you lose. So he said, let's see what God can protect you from me. And they say, King, you could test us in this. You could do this all over again, but we're going to tell you. Our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we ain't going to bow. Hallelujah. So he is furious and he orders his men. Heat up that thing seven times hotter. And it was so hot that when you know the story, guys, the people that threw them guys in were burned up. I love this. Daniel 3, 24, 25. It was chapter 3, not 4. I apologize. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered him and said, Yes, King, yes. True, true. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. They stood on God. They stood by their convictions. They did not compromise. They trusted God and Jesus was glorified. Because even that heathen king had to pronounce something. Even that looks like the Son of God. We threw three in there, there's four, and he looks like the Son of God. Hallelujah. Jesus was glorified because they refused to compromise. They refused to change their identity. They would not, they stood They trusted God. All of those things. Man, that is real. That's not an allegory. That really happened. That really happened. You know what? God has not asked me to jump into a fiery furnace yet. He has not. God has not even asked... No, when He says to me that I'm supposed to crucify my flesh, He didn't ask me to physically do that. He's speaking spiritually. I need to crucify my flesh. If I'm going to be His disciple, I need to, listen, deny myself, pick up my cross and follow Him daily. I'm going to have to do that. And what does that mean? That means all of my wants, all of the fleshly desires that I have, forget those. Don't compromise. He's given me some knowledge. He's given me some, some things that I need to know. He's, he's poured love into me. And so now I need to act on those things that He's already poured into me. Now to do otherwise, to do otherwise is compromise. To do otherwise, I'm not, listen, I'm not working according to the identity, according to the destiny that He's purposed in me. To do anything else, to do anything else is compromise. I'm allowing the devil, the enemy of my soul, to control my destiny. No, I don't, I don't answer anybody. I just, me, myself, and I. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. Hallelujah. No, I want to glorify Jesus. And Jesus is going to be glorified when I stand, when I allow my identity to be only, solely given to me through him, by him, for him. Amen. Amen. He controls His purpose, His plan. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Part of our... I'm going to close with this. Together on Wednesday when we studied, we studied 
One of the scriptures was out of Matthew 10.24, and I want to leave you with this because I know a lot of you can't be here on Wednesdays. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he would be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? My brothers and sisters, you know what that says. You know, we can dabble with and we can ask the question, Lord, you know, what's your will for my life or what's my destiny? What's the purpose and plan that you've called me to? If you're not sure, if you're waiting on the Lord to give you a specific plan, should I go to Bible college? You know, should I serve in the church this way? Or, you know, should I, you know, marry? If you're looking for some specifics, man, continue to pray for him. But let's say in general, you're called to be his disciple. And being his disciple means that you look like him. So if you want to know what identity that God has placed on you, what he, ca- he calls you his son and daughter like he calls Jesus his son. So we are to look like Jesus. We are to act like Jesus. Now the problem that we have, and part of what we talked about on Wednesday, and I, I wrote it down, how do people living in the 21st century reconcile being a disciple of a leader from the 1st century? He lived in a totally different culture. And, and by the way, he was a, a, a Hebrew man. He was a, he was a Jewish man. So now if you're a woman, what happens? How do I, live like, how do I look like Jesus? How do I look like Jesus? I'm, I'm, I'm a married man. Jesus wasn't married. I have children. He didn't have children. So how do I do that? What, 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 what does that look like? How, what, what would Jesus look like if he was in my... How do I act that out? I want to repeat. For those of you here Wednesday, please pray. Right now, pray. But we need to hear this. This Bible instructs us. Read Ephesians. Read Colossians. And it tells us what we look like as a father, as a husband, as a wife. Read Proverbs 31. You want to be a good woman, a, a, a woman who is... Now listen, you know, for too long we let the world try to tell women what they should look like, how they should act, what, you know, what an independent woman should look like. Fooey. Fooey. And again, fooey. Michelle was more important to me when she worked in the house. She was more important to our children when she was raising them up in the house. But we've caused women to believe that unless they're professional, they're, they're less. Baloney. Baloney. If you're a working mom, I know we have to do that. That's fine. If you're a professional woman, praise the Lord. But if you're a mom that's at home, you are, you, your job is so important. So important. You should not feel like less. If that's what God has purposed you for, if that's the woman that he's called you to be, then be the best in that area that you can possibly be. And my brothers and sisters, you will be glorifying Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, You know what? I am where he has put me. So I've got to be the best that I can be. As a father, raise my kids up in the way they should go. Don't provoke them to anger. The Bible instructs me in that. Amen? As a wife, respect my husband. As, listen, as we should respect Christ, as the church respects Christ. <gasps> yeah, that's what it says. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loves the church. So you want to look like Jesus and be a husband? That's how you do it. Children, obey your parents. So to be well with you, you live all life. Children, young people, you want to look like Jesus? That's what you do. Not to mention all of the other stuff like forgive. Don't have any odds. Love. 
the most important thing, love. Are you with me? All right. I got to look like Christ. My, I'm called, my identity is wrapped up in him. Amen? I can't, I got to stand. I can't compromise. And I'm going to be tested. Amen? Stand with me.